Okie dokie. Um, so here I am summing up another book of the Bible. And I wonder if anyone in here would be willing to read a Bible verse for me. Stand up. Read it really loud. Carol, I saw that. She went, yes. All right. Will you read the last verse, Hosea 14, 9 for us? We're going to start at the end and then we're going to go back to the beginning. Right, a good verse. But I kind of wonder if this verse had come three weeks ago, <laughs> how you would have felt. Um, like kind of one of those things you've ever seen, like one of those optical illusions on the computer, and it's like, this will determine if you're of high intelligence. Um, and you're like, oh, wow, I must be the only one that can't see the emperor's new clothes, right? <laughs> Um, maybe if it come around January 24th, I, you, like me, would have been like, okay, not wise, not discerning, and definitely a transgressing stumbler. Hosea has been challenging, <clears throat> and I'm very thankful this verse came as the postscript. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what my job is as summary guide. Um, I think I gave myself this job, so... Um, but it's, I think, to make sure we're all, we're all walking away from a book of the Bible. Oh, someone's calling me. Um, I do not need a car warranty <laughs> with a right perspective of a book. And in order for us to have that right perspective or a right hermeneutic, um, for any book of the Bible, we have, to start at a, we have to start and understand a few things. So who was it written for? How was it understood when it was written? And how do we understand it today with the complete word of God? And I'm going to tell you right now, at this very moment, I'm remembering that I was supposed to have a board here with circles on it. And I forgot to bring that in here. I wrote those down for the ladies last night. So, but I've been kind of thinking of Hosea with concentric circles. So imagine a smaller one and then a bigger one as we go out and then another third one on the back. Y'all can see those, right? So thinking of those concentric circles, and we want to go back to the beginning. And even though the study's only been about five weeks long, I had nearly forgotten our author and his wife. So remember, four weeks ago, we were reading about God's command for Hosea to marry Gomer, a wife of whoredom. Poor Hosea. He had this rebellious, resistant, spectacularly unfaithful wife. She ran to lovers gave them her youth and intimacy, and credited them with Hosea's gifts of provision and generosity. Hosea 2.5 said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. But then in verse 8, it reads, she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold she gave her passion to those who did not truly love her. But Hosea was faithful as the Lord commanded him. And then after a period of taking back, taking away, uncovering and laying waste, all phrases that came from scripture, then came a time of alluring and tender speech. Gomer turned from her wickedness and returned home. This was a very real story of a man and a woman who progressed from man and, uh, man and adulterer to husband and wife. But the value for the Israelites, that second circle, 
at that time was the practical image of an idolatrous nation and a faithful God who loved them. The original recipients of this book of Hosea were the beloved Israelites. God had chosen them from all the people on earth to live as a clear picture of who God is and who his people were. They were called to be the priesthood to the world. Of course, Israel failed. The slaves who had been set free from the bonds of Egypt were quickly exchanging their liberty for slavery again. We see in 12.1 that they were making covenants with their enemies, Assyria and Egypt. And why? Because they had first made covenants with their enemies' gods. Hosea 4.12 says, My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For I have a spirit of whor- for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their god to play the whore. Baal worship was prevalent and accepted throughout Israel. The people who had been called to be holy, pure, worshiping the one true God of the world, had prostrated themselves to the work of craftsmen. Just as Gomer had conceived outside of her marriage and credited her lovers with her fertility and and fruitfulness, Israel was conceiving in the worship of idols and crediting their fruitfulness to something called Baal. Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. In 5.3, Hosea declares, Israel is defiled. And you can hear this tone reverberate throughout the following chapters. But here we are, nearly 3,000 years later, studying this book. And if you imagine that third circle I was supposed to draw for you. So what about us? Quite a lot has happened in the meantime. Not long after this book was written, the northern kingdom of Israel fell. And then 700 years later, we reached the apex of all of history the life and death of the Messiah, Jesus. As believers, we have the privilege of viewing Scripture through the lens of Christ. So how are we to read the book of Hosea? As beneficiaries of progressive revelation, we know that the salvation mentioned throughout these chapters was brought to fruition in Jesus. Hosea 6.2 states, And on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. What would have been a mystery to the Israelites has certain clarity today. We know that the help that was prophesied of in Hosea 12:6 is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. We also have the invaluable privilege of knowing that impediments and hardships in our lives are used for the glory of God as the vehicle to bring judgment. For the believer, it brings about repentance, faith, and goodness. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But for the unbeliever, the eventual full display of God's righteous judgment will be destruction. A holy, righteous, even good act, all in itself, as everything will be made right in the world. And I want to pause for a moment and commend Anna for her clear gospel presentation last week. If what you are hearing and studying is confusing to you, if you have questions, you shouldn't leave without asking them. God is a tender father for his children alone. Don't be deceived. But I want to wonder with you for a moment... 
while we were in the middle of the forest, did you see, where did you see yourself? Did you identify with Hosea, the righteous, faithful husband, or did you see yourself in Gomer, the foolish, wicked whore? While reading the prophecy of the Israelites, did you see yourself standing in judgment over their foolishness or identifying with their idolatry? Through the lens of these concentric circles, we must realize that one perspective is God's, and the other is for the, peop- the perspective of the people. There is only one right perspective for us, and we are not God. A few weeks ago, I had this text exchange with a friend of mine, and my friend said, do you sometimes think that this week's Bible study is going to be a zinger for Mary, Sally, or Sue? And I said, mm, not, not really. My friend said, this one is a zinger for me. Uh, does zinger in this, conver- in this conversation mean convicting? And she said, yes, convicting and very eye-opening. I think more often than any other book that we've studied, I've had more conversations like that in this book. That sweet and humbling conviction of sin has been real and deeply felt, sometimes through tears. The power of Hosea has been to act as a mirror to our lives. I have questioned, where are my idols? Anna, not privy to my personal convictions, mentioned the fear of man last week, and that is exactly where the Lord has led my thoughts. I wonder if you have experienced something similar. And if you're curious, I don't often think about the conviction the study will bring to you as I'm dealing with plenty of my own. So we know that the right perspective for us is to identify with Gomer and the Israelites. But the theme of this book has been about so much more than an adulterer and the whoredom of a people. I thought the ESV study Bible had a great summary of the theme of Hosea, and it says, Hosea depicts Israel's unfaithfulness with a number of images from family and nature. Israel is like a promiscuous wife, an indifferent mother, an illegitimate child, an ungrateful son, a stubborn heifer, a silly dove, a luxuriant vine, and grapes in the wilderness. Yet, Israel's unfaithfulness and obstinacy are not enough to exhaust God's redeeming love that outstrips the human capacity to comprehend. God's redeeming love that outstrips the human capacity to comprehend. Hosea has been stuffed full of imagery, and we should marvel at the sheer kindness of God to speak to us in pictures that are easier to carry with us than the words we read. Which image will you walk away with? How will you remember Hosea's God? Maybe it's from Hosea 5.14. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. Or maybe the primary image that you will remember is from 11.3. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. A lion who tears or a father who tends. One of the great mysteries of God is that he is both, always at the same time. And we should keep that knowledge of those two truths close in mind. Knowing that our loving bridegroom, our tender father, has the power to rip us to shreds. And if our relationship with him was based on our merit, the power would not be restrained forever. 
this knowledge, this understanding compels us to live and act in a particular way. Beloved lovers, princesses of another kingdom with a healthy fear of the king of kings. Can you think of a time in your life when you are keenly aware of your unworthiness and the very person who knew it as well as you leaned into your life in tenderness and love? I hope you've had that experience. Maybe it was your mother, your husband, a mentor, a friend, even a boss. Rather than seeking to punish or correct your sinfulness or even just avoid the icky that could get on them, they moved closer and extended the thing you deserved least, grace. Are those the most beautiful moments in all of life? They certainly are incredibly powerful. Poor Hosea. He was such a man, a simple man, that God called to love an unfaithful, undeserving wife. Why? So that we could have that beautiful picture of God and how much he loves us. When you imagine Gomer being rescued for the final time, how do you think she lived from that moment on? I tend to think of words like grateful, humbled, indebted, loved. Consider the Israelites. Working on those circles again. Is that how they lived? They had been freed, provided for, strengthened, rescued over and over again. Did they live as grateful, humbled, indebted lovers? Some did. The remnant did. But what about us? We may have a right perspective looking back, but what about looking forward? Is that how we live? On a daily basis, are we thankful, humble, indebted to, and in love with the God who has reached in and saved someone hell-bent on wickedness? I mentioned that Hosea has acted as a sort of mirror for us. It has brought to my mind 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I have been at Grace of Anne for nearly 25 years. I am a strong-willed and stubborn sort of human. I can have quite a lot of unbridled passion towards any number of topics. You just name it. I was a baby, so to speak, when I arrived here at Grace. I was kind of like a tween when they hired me on staff. And I have grown up before many of you. I am not proud of much of my growing up years. That's kind of the nature of it. But over and over and over again, I have been embraced, leaned into, and cared for in a way that is most humbling. It is often not easy to stand in front of you to proclaim truths that I myself have disregarded. I can think of times when all I wanted to do was hide or cast my eyes down in shame or even publicly try to cover it up to somehow make up for my sinful nature. I believe I already mentioned my fear of man. But I am blood-bought. My life has been paid for at an incredibly high price. How could I live as if a mistake had been made? How could I treat God as if he was wrong for placing value on me? 
with the roar of a lion, he has faithfully called me to return again and again. I imagine Gomer walking alongside Hosea with confidence in her husband's love. Maybe she held herself with a new dignity that shone from the knowledge that she was completely dependent on the grace of her groom and completely undeserving of a love so deep. The one she should have feared the most knew everything and loved her still. I want to be like that, Gomer. Thankful, humbled, indebted to, and in love with the heavenly groom. I have been fully known and fully loved. One day, I shall fully know him as well. I hope that at the end of this study, you stand with me a little wiser, a little more understanding, a little more discerning, with a greater potential to walk upright in the righteous ways of the Lord. We have been rebuked and warned. In other words, we have been loved. The last image I want to leave you with begins in Hosea 9.13. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But unfortunately, the root of this palm was dried up and it produced no fruit. But then we see something different, something new in chapter 12. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His roots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and swell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer you and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Maybe it reminds you of Isaiah 61.3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And I would be remiss if I did not mention one of my very favorites again, Psalm 144.12. May our sons and their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. It's quite an image, isn't it? Strength and dignity drawing from the living water. Maybe, may we be like the tree planted by streams of water, a palm fully grown. Of course, it is only possible through the rain that falls from the God of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that we will walk away and we will consider the images that you have given us in Hosea. Lord, help us to live as people who have been blood-bought and who are standing as trees beside the living water. Lord, your graciousness and your love is beyond what we can comprehend, but help us, Father, to seek after you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.